Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Can we stop for dinner? I'm hungry. And I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate. I don't know, Ben. Where should we go? It's your choice. You're a mechanic. Welcome back, dear listener, to the driver's seat. Let's get going. Today's quote is by Helen Keller. Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. Last week, we wrapped up our friendship arc with friendships from middle to old age. This week, we're pivoting to a listener question. We're very excited to be interacting with you, our drivers. If you'd like to ask a question to the show, don't forget you can do so by emailing questions at afpsych.com. So, without further ado, what do you do when your partner responds with, I don't know, or I don't care, when you're trying to make plans? So, um, an important thing to think about is, what do these words actually represent? They don't represent what the words say. They mean something far more than that, and that's part of the issue with all of this. When you're saying, I don't care about this particular topic, you're actually saying to your partner, I don't care about you. You're not important. The things you're interested in, not important. And you might say, but I don't have an opinion on a particular thing. Nonetheless, being engaged with your partner, at least listening to what's important to them, learning about all of that, demonstrates that you care about the other person. And the last thing you want to do in a committed relationship is demonstrate, I don't care about you or about what you're thinking or feeling. This expands outside of just committed relationships. You don't want to do this with friends, and it impacts work relationships. Office relationships are the same thing. Awkward. But it impacts your relationships across the board. That level of indifference, that level of, I don't care, I'm not going to offer you my opinion, I'm not going to engage with you, affects every type of relationship, not just the committed relationship. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I'll give you an example. So early in the relationship with uh, your mother, I said, I don't care to a question she asked. She wanted to repaint the walls and she showed me a color, several colors. And she said, which one do you want? And I said, I don't care. And the look on her face was just stricken. Like I had punched her or I had dismissed her. Well, you did dismiss her. Well, emotionally, I did, although I was too young at the time to really understand what the heck I was doing. I really don't care about what the colors are on the wall, but I do care about her. So I learned to look at those paint chips and say, just to pick one of them. And then if she says, well, I'm kind of thinking about some other color, to then ask questions like, well, what is it about that color that you like so much? And how do you think it might work with us? And let her talk about her interest in this, even though for me, any color on the walls is just fine. What it demonstrates is that she is important and that her thinking and her feelings about this particular topic is important. And I want to engage with her. So I don't know, I don't care are really, really bad all the time? Or are there times, you know, if your partner doesn't mean it maliciously, is it really that dismissive 100% of the time? 
very rarely the person is going to mean it maliciously. Most of us say it offhand. And where I see this the most is the epic question of where do you want to eat tonight? And I don't know. It's your choice. I don't care. They don't mean it maliciously. It's truly I don't have a preference in this choice, but it comes off as dismissive, which is what Don was just sharing for the person who is saying it. So if you find yourself being the person who's always saying, I don't know, it's your choice. I don't really care. Checking in with yourself. Why are you saying these things? What is your thought process here that leads you to say these things? There are plenty of other options. With the food example, I'm guilty of this as well. Someone says, where do you want to eat? And I'm like, eh, I don't really care. What I have noticed is being mindful about it. I can say things like, well, I had chicken for dinner yesterday. I'm not really in the mood for that. I don't have any preference outside of that other than not chicken. And this is part of getting out of that habit of just dismissing the question. Yeah, it makes sense. Being mindful about when you're saying these phrases that can be so dismissive. And I I guess part of what I was getting at is also not panicking if your partner says them, because like you said, it's rarely malicious. It's usually just, I it's don't know. It's a force of habit habitual. almost. Yeah. yeah. Where it's become a really easy out when you really don't have a super strong preference for things. So like Dawn with the paint, it doesn't matter what color the wall is. I, I don't have a preference for it. But the person who is asking wants your input and understanding that the desire for your input, the desire for your connection to this is what's important. It's not so much having an, a good answer for it. Sometimes when someone's like, well, what color should we paint the wall? And you're like, ooh, we should paint it sunshine yellow. And they're like, actually, no, I was looking at the seafoam green. They've already made a choice and they're looking for validation of their choice, which we did go over way in the beginning of this, actually. Yeah, I think I told a story about this. Right, with the food and what to eat for dinner. Indeed. So we've come up, we've talked about sort of a couple of alternatives to saying, I don't know. In the paint example, picking one, even if it's at random, and then asking questions of your partner to find out more about why they're interested in this and what it means for them. And for the food example, giving you know, some options of what maybe you don't want. So you're not picking a thing, but you're at least contributing to a process of elimination. Are there some other alternatives? Yes, I have so many because I really hate the phrase, I don't know. It drives me up the wall because fundamentally at the end of the day, you do know, you have an opinion. Whether or not you want to voice it is different. The food example is what I hear the most because, you know, dating culture from the single world over here is, oh, we should go grab dinner. Where do you want to go? And so the ways you can work around this are thinking internally, what is my experience? I had chicken earlier this week. I'm not really interested in anything unique. I'm not interested in a broad palette of food, basically. So let's limit it down to American food. I could do barbecue or I could do burgers. But where we get that, what's a good choice? What are you interested in? Or even saying, I want to try a new restaurant and exploring those options. You don't have to have a specific answer. You can simply have input in the situation. When someone asks you, 
what color should we paint the walls? Well, if you really hate the color red, don't suggest the color red. It's pretty easy. But then you have input and the other partner feels heard. In a corporate meeting, most people will offer ideas. You're not just going to be like, I don't care, in a boss meeting. Very, very rarely will people start offering ideas or a problem be posed in a work setting and you'll just be like, I don't really care about it, whatever. Typically, you take a minute and think about what the problem is and usually try to offer a solution or explain things that haven't worked so far. All of this is the aspect of being mindful with how you respond to people rather than the gut reaction of, I don't care, I don't know, it's up to you, whatever, however it comes out of you. Being mindful of, what am I saying? What am I communicating to people? Am I communicating that I care about them? Am I communicating that their opinion matters, that I'm allowing influence from them? Basically, how am I impacting the world around me? A lot of shaping your own behavior is choosing to be mindful of it. So I catch myself when I say I don't know, and I usually take a moment, if I really don't have a thought about it, saying, I don't have a strong thought about this at the moment. And it's always at the moment, because in five seconds, I might actually have a thought appear, because brains work like that. That's actually something you can share, too. Honey, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Here's some ideas, like with food. I don't want this, or I don't want that. Do you have anything other than those two things that that you would want? But at least you're engaged in the conversation. The thing that you don't want to do if you're in a relationship with someone is demonstrate disengagement. And that's what I don't know. I don't care. It's your choice. That's what that does. Which I must say, Papa, you say I don't know or I don't care a lot when it comes to picking restaurants if we're going out to dinner. So I'm just going to lay that out there right now. How often do we go out to dinner? Well, now, never, but... Well, even before, how how often did we go out to dinner? I usually cook. Yes, you usually cook. But, and this is slightly off topic, but I distinctly remember a time when I was home and we decided we didn't want to cook. And you were asking Mama and I what we wanted to eat. And I think Mama said, I don't care. I said, I don't know. And then I was like, well, Papa, do you have an opinion? And you said, no, it's up to you. And I got really mad at you. (laughs) Listen to how that story went. I asked a question. Both of the women in my life said, I don't know. I don't care. It's like, well, why should I care? That's the whole disengagement cycle. And then all three starved to death. (laughs) Well, no, Kim got really angry and started crying because that's what Kim do, which is fair. And also in the moment, I viewed it very much as a dismissive, I asked for your opinion and you're just like, no, I'm not going to give it to you, which I understand retrospectively that yes, both mama and I did that. You did it first. You did it. Technically I did it second. I like that. I'm not in this story. Well, it was when I was living at home and you weren't. Well, it's a great story in the sense of how this can build up. So if someone is looking for your input and gets shut down and then you ask them for their input, they are less likely to want to engage because it's like, why do I have to have all the energy around this? Why am I making all the decisions for our relationship? Where are you in the partnership with me? 
that's what this really is. As a matter of fact, you talked about it in the workforce. If as a boss, I have someone who has no initiative, doesn't come up with any ideas, doesn't respond with thoughts or approaches, I'm very unlikely to go to that person for anything or to see them as somebody who I would want to promote. True. You got to be engaged. <laughs> Shall we move to part two of the question? Sure. Our listener was also curious about how to respond to a partner who frequently says, we can agree to disagree, but then behaves like they're not okay with the results. So this is a little bit different than, I don't know, how should one deal with this situation? I think a lot of this falls on the person who is saying, we can agree to disagree, but then is behaving like they're not okay. And where this happens most is in discussions and debates about High conflict topics is not really what I'm trying to say. Why not? Because I mean, it is. Hot topics. <laughs> yeah. One of the hot topics that couples often disagree on is how to parent children or how to deal with in-laws or whether or not to quit smoking uh, right. or that alcohol use is getting in the way. Any of those things are ones where people say, let's agree to disagree. I think my alcohol consumption is just fine. But then you get angry because actually... I don't like the fact that you're judging how much alcohol I'm drinking. So this is a place where several things are coming into confluence. The person who says we can agree to disagree, but doesn't actually accept that is being disingenuous. They're essentially telling a lie. The second part is you're not really allowing for influence from your partner or validating their point of view. You don't have to agree, but recognizing that they have a valid point of view. Maybe it will affect my health if I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Maybe. 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 Um, that's their point of view. And what I could tell them is, is if I don't smoke these two packs, I am so anxious and jittery that I can't get my job done or I can't make it through the day. Only if you can admit that to yourself, though. I mean, we can argue that one back and forth, but that's also a valid point of view. So when I say to you, the reason that I smoke two packs of cigarettes is because each time it calms me down and that helps me get through my day. Yeah. I guess I meant that like, is the person smoking even aware that that's why they're smoking those cigarettes? I don't know. I don't smoke. So maybe, maybe it is really that like, yes, this is what I need to get through the day. But like, I'm sorry. I was just trying to say like, you can't admit that to your partner unless you've recognized that, Hey, the only way I can get through the day because I am suffering from anxiety is by smoking cigarettes. And you're right. People may not have that insight. Although a lot of people who smoke that I've known kind of know that this is what it, they use it to calm themselves down. Okay, that's fair. So influence has to go in both directions. There has to be an understanding of what the person is doing and why they're doing it that way. And this can be on any topic, like parenting kids. One parent might be super strict and the child has no decisions they can make. Parents make all the decisions. And the other parent is like, well, no, I'd like my child to learn how to decide before they get into critical situations. So I want them to do some of that now, fight back and forth. How involved should in-laws be? I like talking to my mom twice a week, three times a week, once a day. They're too intrusive in our lives. Those are the two sides of this. Instead of stopping and asking, how does it help you to talk to your mom every day? Or why is it so threatening that I have such a close relationship with my mom? Those questions uncover what's going on for your partner and demonstrate that you're leaning in and you want to understand. So that actually really leans into our third question about longstanding problems and issues in the relationship. 
real quick on this particular question about we can agree to disagree because I happen to know who wrote it in. They actually wrote in and asked about with friends when they're talking about hot button issues and the friends like, well, we can agree to disagree and then is really rude about it in future conversations. And I've seen this play out with some of my friends about parenting when they're not parents, they're not co-parenting this child, but they're two separate families that then butthead about how to raise children. And when the one child spends time with the other family and they disagree about how to parent and it just, it runs into all sorts of interesting conflicts. And it's true. I mean, I hear we can agree to disagree and it just like, I don't know. And I don't care. It's a very dismissive phrase. It's like my opinion's mine, your opinion's yours. We're never going to agree on anything. So like whatever, bye. And that definitely puts strain on relationships. And like Don was saying, if you have a parent who's super strict, if you have a parent who's very lenient, doing that really actually just creates a rift in the family. And it leaves a gap for the child to actually take control of the family because they can pit each each parent against each other about rules and regulations and how they are maintained in the family unit. So my sum up with this basically is when you're choosing to say something like we can agree to disagree and you're in a romantic relationship or it's a familial dynamic and it's outside of friend, quote, quote, friendly debate, you know, really paying attention to am I dismissing my partner? And if I am, why? And if I don't want to do this, how can I accept their influence? How can we truly agree to disagree without wrecking the relationship? And one of the ways to do that is to say, obviously, we disagree about this. So how will we move forward? What behaviors can we engage in that are respectful to one another, even though we disagree on these topics? I had never really thought about agree to disagree between friends who have kids and disagree on parenting issues, but their kids hang out together. And I don't have any knowledge about that. That's really interesting. Hadn't really thought about it before. It does seem like it would be harder outside of a significant other relationship to get to the level of intimacy where you could be asking things like, why do you parent this way? Or like, what is it about this method of parenting that I have that you don't care for and really have those discussions? Because like we've been talking about, we can agree to disagree is in many ways dismissive. It's it's avoiding the discussion. It's avoiding the conflict. It's avoiding all of it. But it doesn't actually avoid the conflict if your kid is hanging out with their kid twice a week. Right. You're going to just have this conflict twice a week and pretend to ignore it every time. And that's not going to work. I think that anybody could tell you that's not going to work. Even a dummy like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's good. It's good. Good talking. Good ideas. Should we go to part three? Yeah. Kim, did you want to get into this since you kind of were already headed that way? Or do you want me to like ask it? I mean, you can go ahead and ask it. All right. So part three of our listeners question was, how should you talk to your partner about a longstanding issue that is a challenge in your relationship? 
the main tool I have around this was created by Dr. John Gottman. Gottman. <laughs> I've been waiting for him to come back. Man, it's been a minute. It, it has been a minute. So a gridlocked problem is a problem that you have argued about before and in which you cannot find a solution. One of the tools that Gottman discusses is finding out what the core value each partner has for the issue. So I think we talked about this way back in the beginning. Didn't we talk about it in relation to like public and private school? Yes. Which actually was another listener question. Yeah. One of our very first ones. Apparently this is a question that comes up. So just like we talked about in public versus private school, finding what the core value is. What is the dream that each partner has underlying their opinion? And sitting down and choosing to have a conversation with each other and choosing to be gentle with it. So within this, using positive I statements, so always focusing on your experience. You can't talk for another person. You can't say you feel this or you're, well, you can say you're doing this, but it's a very aggressive phrasing. So if you want to start this conversation with your partner, you can use what Dr. Gottman calls a softened startup. You could approach them with, I feel stressed about the upcoming school year. I would like to sit down and talk with you about where our child is going to school. So it's a very gentle way of starting this conversation and then holding the conversation around what that issue is. You want public school. I want private school. And asking your partner, why? Why do you want public school? Help me understand what your story is there. What does that mean to you? And why is that so important to you? And finding out their values there and then Hopefully, your partner will offer you the space to also share your values, your history, your experience with your end, which here would be private school. And that's that's how to have that conversation. <laughs> One other question you can ask sometimes because it's looking at the negative space is, what would it mean if our kid did go to public school if the other person wanted private school? What would it mean to you? So looking at that and finding out how people are understanding the situation is the key thing. And again, that's leaning into the relationship. I want to discover your point of view. I want to honor that. I may not agree with you, and then we have to figure a pathway forward. That's the resolution to gridlock. So we're not going to agree, but what will we do in order to make the relationship move forward? And, you know, Gottman talks about about two-thirds of the problems that any couples face are gridlocked non-solvable. We default going to intimate relationships because that's both what Don and I work with, but this exists outside of that. So you can have these types of conversations about workplace challenges. Do we have decaf coffee or regular calf coffee? No, that's not a truly gridlocked problem, though it can feel like it if you really like coffee. Do Toast and I walk through the park or through the neighborhood? That's truly gridlocked because Toast has a mind of her own and she is going to tell you where to go. But also she can't talk. So it's a very one-sided conversation. She does not value conversation. She values pulling you very hard on the leash. <laughs> she, she speaks with her behaviors. Shall we go to the optional fourth question? Yeah, I think so. 
We also have a bonus fourth question from another listener. And this one is, how do you plan trips or vacations with someone whose anxiety leads them to always be in charge? Like they have to stick to a schedule and have a plan. And maybe that's not what you want. And that's not your idea of a fun vacation. I'm going to sound redundant through this entire episode. This is still about leaning in and trying to understand your partner's point of view in both directions. How do we have a schedule and build in time for either improvisation or for not doing anything? So that both allows someone to feel like, okay, I know what's happening and that binds my anxiety. That might be the issue for the person who wants the the scheduled day and create opportunities for improvisation or discovery wherever you're going, which is what the other person wants. Because you know that each of those things is important to the other person and you honor that importance, you can find a solution. I'm going to throw a wrench in here. Not really, but I am going to throw in some more complexities to this. So what if you're planning a trip and the other person, outside of just needing a schedule, wants to know the details right now and you're stuck with like, I don't actually know what flight we're taking right now because I haven't had a chance to book it. But they're really up in your business about it needs to be right now. What What is this right now, right now? How do you handle that? Number one, I would say, so what's happening right this minute that you need this information? I want to go on vacation right now. <laughs> well, and I might be able then to, to join you in that saying, I would really love for us to be able to leave in the next hour. And that's not really what's going to happen. I haven't had a chance to book it. If you'd like to sit here with me, let's look together about what flights there are to wherever we're going. That's a cool idea. And I like that that joins them, right? So that's inviting in creating the plans together, which may also soothe a lot of anxiety. I think an important part in this as well is understanding the root of that person's anxiety. You know, where is this coming from? Is it possible that they went on a vacation with their family that wasn't planned and it was the worst vacation they've ever had? I've never had that experience because boss man over there schedules all of our vacations and it is wonderful. The one vacation I scheduled for myself was horrible, so I will never take a vacation alone again. (laughs) Was it terrible because you did it alone or was it terrible because your planning wasn't very good? Both. Oh, It also rained the entire time that I was in Florida. Oh, yeah. That'll mess with anybody. But, you know, you can't control that part. That's true. Unless you give a peanut butter sandwich to Pudge the fish. I watched Lilo and Stitch last night. Oh, that one. Pudge controls the weather. So in all of these situations, what you're demonstrating, if you do this well, is that you're leaning into the relationship and you want to know the other person's point of view. And that you're willing to share your point of view. When that happens and you allow influence, relationships grow. When you withhold your point of view or you dismiss the point of view of the other, relationships wither. So it really depends on the outcome that you want. It takes a whole lot less energy to lean into the relationship and just listen to what your partner is thinking or feeling and share with them what you're thinking and feeling and really allow one another to influence both of your all's thinkings and emotions to come up with solutions that both of you can live with. This week, we covered several aspects of indifference from I don't care to agree to disagree, 
These are both ways of avoiding a conflict or a difficult conversation, and they're also pretty dismissive to your partner. So it's best to try and catch yourself before saying you don't care and find a different way to engage with your partner instead of dismissing them. We also talked about dealing with gridlocked issues, which is sort of a more intense version of the same challenge. And finally, we talked about vacation planning when needs and desires differ. In all of these cases, as Don so eloquently said, the key is to lean in and engage with your relationship. It's really going to be better long-term and short-term, even though the conversation may be difficult. Thanks for joining us this week on The Relationship Road Trip. Don't forget to send in your hottest relationship questions to questions at afpsych.com. And if you have a minute, give us a rating and review on iTunes or share the show with a friend. Every review helps. Until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.